0: Movement Rio Media presents A Few Good Physios with Dr. Eric Munoz and Dr. Leonidas Scantolides. You
1: can't handle the truth. What is physical therapy? More research. More research true therapeutic
0: effect join us each week as we discuss current trends in medicine rehabilitation and strength and conditioning
1: the answers are out there
0: all content is a collaboration between on-point sports care and integrated pt squared a few good physios is not medical advice and is used for educational purposes only if you are having pain and or health-related complaints please seek out a licensed healthcare professional thank you for downloading enjoy All right, welcome back. Episode 35. We have a return guest today, Mr. Steve Horney. Thank you for coming, sir. It
2: is a pleasure and an honor.
0: Oh, it's very good. So, if you don't uh, if you haven't heard the first uh episode that we did with Steve Definitely go back and listen to that. Uh, I recently re-listened to that, and that was recorded in 2018. And we went over uh, several things in terms of practice management, some uh, some key elements of that, and even the transitioning from working for somebody and then end up working for yourself. So we might review that a little bit today and then go into some other stuff.
1: Yeah, we got a lot of feedback from... um from that podcast and one of the key things were the five key you were very concise and clear on that you outlined it very well so i would love to review that at some point today
2: yeah absolutely
1: thank you so much for coming sure happy to be
2: here and and to add and we can just jump right into this but uh, the last one I've changed a little bit after, I went back and listened, and I was mm-hmm. like, that's some good shit. i want to change it a little bit. On um, the last one, we actually changed to, uh, to play not to lose. Never would I say that in any uh, athletics, but play not to lose for that, because you have to endure in the beginning. So we all remember mm-hmm. that become a gangster-ass clinician. Yes. That's really important. Mm-hmm. And the location. Again, the location isn't West 4th and 6th. It's more finding that gym that needs you, finding that gym that has independent contractors, finding that gym that has trainers, that you're cool with making 120% of what they're making, because then that's gonna eliminate that hurdle for those patients. Mm -hmm. Then setting up that side hustle, that's really important. That's really challenging, obviously. Mm -hmm. And then metrics. Remember, this isn't an emotional conversation. This isn't us saying that, oh, I I wanna start my own business, so I'm gonna start my Mm -hmm. business. It's it's foolish to approach it that way. Mm -hmm. Um, And then uh, just, Remember that kind of if someone can talk you out of it, then you're not built for it. Look back at what you've done in your life. Again, we've discussed me being an Italian cuisine transportation specialist. That's great. I like the hustle. I was was always built like that. Yeah, but But it showed me like I like that grind. I like that not knowing what it is. I'll invest in me. above anyone else and when Mm. I invested in myself I knew I could get a little bit better tips if I hustled I could get a little bit better and I knew if I worked a little harder Mm. I could get a few more patients and I knew that if I took another course I'd help a few more people and make a few more connections that was always how I was kind of like built that's Mm. always how I grinded so I kind of knew that that was the life that I wanted to choose for the rest of mine but then we kind of changed around just the last bit is like play not to lose and that, that relates back to the metrics but make sure that you're not just going in and being like oh if I build that they will come. You really need to be smart about this because the first year and two years is just about enduring everything's going to be thrown at you. You're going to have uh, you're going to have your insurance be, be, be a little bit more than you thought that it was going to be. You're going to have to pay to publish in New York, which is a pain in the ass to become an LLC. You don't see that $2,000 coming. There's a lot of things that you don't necessarily see. So just small ball it in the beginning, mm-hmm. play not to lose. Make sure that you're going to be able to survive, survive those until your business really starts to build up. Mm-hmm. Very
1: great, 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 great information. Uh, I could relate on all points, but um, Steve, very, you, you put it together very nicely.
2: Happy to do it. What yeah. has been going on, sir, since your last uh, recording? Oh, man. it's been It's been great, but it's been really fun to take a lot of the courses that we've been taking and a lot of the people that we've been teaching with and put a lot of that into one course. And this isn't a commercial for this course. It's for that course, which is coming up June 8th and 9th at Flex Physical Therapy. Plug (laughs) it all day, man. (laughs) Click on (laughs) iHealthSciences.com courses and sign up on Eventbrite. (laughs) It's at Flex Physical Therapy. They're great. (laughs) But, we're taking all the things that we've decided to put into our practice and, and share them. I'm not saying we That we do anything that that person doesn't do, that that person doesn't do, that that person doesn't do, that that person doesn't do. But I think we're really good at bringing it all together. And I think the way that we bring it all together is really good for our patients and therefore sharing that with the people that we like, the people that we want to teach. We went and talked to NYU DPT students about it. It was pretty cool. We were supposed to be there for an hour and a half. Like Three hours later, we ended up walking out. And that feels good because you realize that they're seeing something different than they've Mm. seen in their clinical rotations. They're seeing something different than their teachers are teaching them. And again, we're not reinventing the wheel. Almost in effect, frankly, we are are breaking it down to its most simple pieces. Mm. Things have gotten kind of complicated. Let's bring it down, let's make it simple, but let's make it packageable, because if you understand it, that's great. You have your doctorate, you have many (laughs) years of clinical practice, Mm. but if our patients don't truly understand what we're telling them to do, you're not gonna get that full buy-in. And if you don't get that full buy-in, you'll get people better, but you get more people better if you can break it down, make it simple, and make sure that they can understand, because when they understand, then they transition from being that patient to that student, and then when you have them as that student, A, you've got someone for life because as you learn, they're going to want to learn, but they're going to be so much better because the feedback that they give is going to be so much more spot on. They're going to be the ones that are telling you, like, you know what? Actually, I realized when I eat this thing or when I go on this or I went away and I drank this and then I went in through or I noticed that if I don't do this exercise, then I tend to have problems there. And you're going to take all that and process it even better and be a better clinician to them because they're not just a patient they're a student. Mm-hmm. Right. I love that
1: um that analogy of, of a student cuz I think a lot of the old model kind of has this hierarchy yeah. uh, hierarchy like authoritative white coat thing. Of course. And um there's a lot of less less and less buy in toward that with pay. patients are a lot more savvy and well read and they, they kind of know what they haven't uh, they're overwhelmed with information but they have a lot more information than they had. Right. So I think the student-teacher relationship is uh, is one where, you know, there's respect, mutual respect, but I think it's more beneficial.
2: I couldn't agree more. Right. And and that's it's nice that things are shifting. With the more information mm. that people can get on podcasts like yours, the internet, take it or leave it, it's here right. to stay. Right. <laughs> they're a lot more informed. They may not be as well-directed, right. but they're more informed, and they have access to health literacy, whether they choose to get into those sources or not. Right. So it's our job to... to to be flexible and change 14 years ago, things were different when I started practicing oh, sure. in 14 years before that it was very different. So mm-hmm. let, let's treat our patients in the model that exists today. So right.
1: And you're creating, I mean, we are all kind of creating um, separate models, really yeah, I mean, of course. within, within uh, like you said, we're not reinventing the wheel, but packaging it in a way that is digestible. Totally. And, and, buy-in. and simple. <laughs>
2: I mean, when yeah. uh, we can talk, start talking about what we're talking about, but yeah. I mean, um, I don't – a few things have happened. One, I work with someone who I think just naturally gets things. Um, I was always had to work hard in school. I I don't mind admitting that. Mm -hmm. I'm above average intelligence, I would guess. But I still (laughs) had to put in that work and make things simple and understandable. That's where a lot of this has come from me is making things – breaking them down into how if I were studying them, how I would want them to look like, and then teaching that way. So I don't feel like when I'm teaching, I'm ever throwing anything over the backstop. In general, if I break it down to make it the way that it would have made it sit in my head for the longest and truly understand and grasp that, I'm doing a great job. So th- that's kind of where I'm right. talking about like not reinventing the wheel. It's really exciting because what we're really doing is making things as simple as possible, right. but not overlooking the major things. Nothing happens in a vacuum. Right. So. Right.
1: Good stuff.
0: Yeah. Cool. <laughs> now, the, the development of uh, some of this course was, um, you recently has t- have taken uh, Craig Liebenson's, which you talked about in the last Correct. episode. Correct, yep. And there's different levels, right, to his courses? Right, and, and I
2: think I've taken all that have been, I, I've, I've been at least four courses with him. Oh, wow. One was a kettlebell course. He's really good, he's really good at that. Yeah. He's really good at taking from a lot of different places and having a fluid um program meaning if something comes out if there's new research that comes out he's switching right away Mm. um you'll see here we're gonna talk about our crazy eights and our developmental dozens and things like that those are fluid as well i am Mm. never married i am only giving you what i think is best at this moment in time and 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 that's kind of fun to be able to play in that system plug to squarespace i mean having a A website that I can go on and in five minutes edit it is amazing. Our Mm. Foundations of Health, which we'll talk about in a second, Mm. I go on that all the time. I have a secret sauce portion of our website too, which is like how we train ourselves Mm. and taking it through from like systems prep and then our pillar prep and then our eight basic categories of exercise and then the wind down at the end. Like I'm always finding new exercises and adding them in. And and it's pretty awesome Mm -hmm. that in today's day and age where it's not a book that's getting printed we can be flexible, we can be fluid, and we can always be learning without learning something being like, Oh, now I gotta update this book. So I'm gonna put yeah. this in the next version. It's <laughs> like no. In five seconds I click escape when I'm on my own website, I do 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 and then I save it and it's done. Uh-huh. And then whatever I had before is fantastic and that's great, but when someone comes back and they ask me for something more current, I know that whatever I'm giving them is the most current thing. That's that's very- awesome. So it's pretty
1: cool. Very cool. It evolves. I mean as I still- as, as- you know information and research does exactly Mm -hmm. and that's
2: the thing there's shifts there's shifts and 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 there's pendulum swings and that's what's kind of beautiful i've been around for long enough that i've seen pendulums swing and swing back and it's nice to have enough um uh, enough enough work on one side let's say like manual therapy movement science like I, i was in the manual therapy world when i first started it was manual therapy, but it was mm. the questions were: Are you a trigger point guy? Or are you a joint mobilization guy? Mm. Like that was the question. Like there was nothing else. And then you kind of start to realize, oh, uh, you know, maybe you need to know both. And I and I think that what's important is, I think people like to be pendulum swung to one side because that's just easier.
3: Mm. How much
2: easier is it to be like, no, manual therapy is garbage. <laughs> I just need to know movement science. Right. Congratulations, mm. you only need to know one thing. Mm-hmm. That's way easier. No you need Mm. to know manual therapy and you need to know movement science. Absolutely. And that's going to take way more years to master. Mm. But it's worth it because that's what works. So, that's how we kind of looked at everything and tried not to just get swung by what was happening, but realized that things are inside of a box. If we go inside a box, outside a box, if if we look at things that are inside the box, they were in the box for a reason. They may not be um, dogmatically placed in there forever, but there was a reason that they got put in there mm. and just make sure that, that's, that they stay in that box to be used for when they're supposed to be used. Right. So for sure. um, cool. that's how we roll.
0: In the, the course in June, this is catered to uh, both clinicians and trainers? Or are you just trying to get um, well, kind the, what kind of It's actually
2: kind of funny because we started it out as movement science for the clinician, fire, uh-huh. functional integrated rehabilitation exercise. Uh-huh. And then we built it and realized there was nothing in there that trainers couldn't do. Mm-hmm. There was nothing at mm-hmm. all. Mm-hmm. And then we quickly switched it. And what a better way than just to get everyone together and just say, here we all have access to this. Let's learn from each other because a lot of really Absolutely. good trainers are way better than physical therapists at 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 understanding movement science. I'm not saying every trainer. I'm not saying the, the brand new trainer, but you know those ones oh, that yeah. take their craft so seriously. The people that you guys mm-hmm. see at Strong First. Yeah. The people that you, you know have their masters in kinesis, Those people, when all you have, it, when all you have is movement science, and I'm not. I'm just saying we have different lanes. Like right. when you are a strength coach, all you have is movement science. If you're not a PT, you can't touch people. Then you get really good at it yeah. and and they're pretty amazing. So that, that's why we decided to open it up to everyone and just get a good group there. Um, you know, more than half of our network is trainers. As we talked in the last one, I've never marketed to a doctor. Yes. I don't particularly enjoy it, frankly. Mm. But I love talking to trainers. They're so much fun. And then we teach trainers. Every month we teach the Gotham trainers once every Monday. And then once a month we treat the we teach the Equinox Printing House. Um, yeah. So we're always teaching trainers. And there's no reason why we can't all just get together. Because this stuff doesn't go over anyone's head. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. That's I'm a, I mean, a great
1: strategy. It. I mean, a couple, a lot of good things. I think we might have mentioned on other podcasts, but you're tapping into a market that um, that has the spendable income—not the trainers, but their clients. Um, they're passionate about fitness and health, so that's another easy, you know, right? It doesn't buy in there, and then, again, it's just, it's a fun. It's a fun place to be around. There's a oh lot of interesting God. characters and uh, a variety of characters.
2: <laughs> and, and and for my final little anecdote, because I feel I actually went, you know, I went back and listened, I was like, I shared a lot in that last podcast. <laughs> it was a lot more than just like nuts and bolts there about how to start a practice. But I, I was recently, my buddy opened up a gym down in Seabright, New Jersey. Jim's gym, if you want to check it out. Yeah, All right, and plug. he gave me the keys to it. It's just like. Come in whenever you like, you know, whatever. Mi casa, su casa, or gimnasio, su gimnasio. <laughs> so he handed me the keys, and I went in maybe like 11.30 on a Saturday night, and it was the best experience. I'm like, this is me. I'm back. Mm-hmm. This is why I got into physical therapy. I got into physical therapy because I really enjoyed sitting in a rusty ass weight room in the Mm. basement where our weight room and our wrestling room were the same room with the rusty plates where if you wore a white shirt you would actually get the rust on you. You guys might be young and I don't know like (laughs) where it was like rubber (laughs) rubber plates already but like Uh, we were rusty ass plates. And I remember with my like umbro shirt that I got like this (laughs) orange that my mom couldn't get out and it was just the happiest that I'd ever been in my life and recently I walked into my buddy's gym and it's, it's a gym, and it smells like a gym. Right, we all know right, what that right, is. Yeah, right. And I think anyone else would have walked in and been like, "Oh my god, that's gross." And I walked <laughs> in. And I was
1: "Where's like, the eucalyptus?" Right. <laughs> exactly. And I was
2: like, "Oh my god, this is home. Yeah. This is it. This makes me so happy. That smells so good." <laughs> <laughs> Mildew, awesome. sweat. Yep. Exactly. This is how it should be. It's not. It's a very clean gym. It's just like a gym is a gym. Sure. So it was really, really cool, and and just that was when I was like, I'm home. I made it back home, and this is what I wanna do for the rest of my life. So it's really, really fun. So to talk about the way that we may look at the body somewhat uniquely and again i don't think that we're doing anything but we might call something a little bit differently and honestly like our pillar prep is unique to us mm. Um not that pillar prep is unique but in general the way that we approach pillar prep is unique and something mm. that we genuinely came up with through our experiences and our teaching but in general i think that we package things pretty well and what we really look at it's not like Other people aren't looking at the whole body, but I think that we do a really good job of breaking it down into our foundations of health. So the first thing I want to talk about is our foundations of health. Mm. Then that's, we'll say like the bottom of the pyramid. On top of that is our PIP diagnosis model. Mm. And that's pathology impairment pattern diagnosis Mm. model, which is again, the way that we really Mm. like to get a complete diagnosis. You got to follow the PIP diagnosis model. Mm. And then the eye, which is the impairments in that is your pillar prep, which again, we take a little bit of a unique look at, but then also our crazy eight, which is more of our functional assessments. So that's kind of what I wanted to talk to you all about and just just put it out there because I think that it'll help out a lot of people. I think that this is one of the podcasts that if you're not a clinician, you'll still enjoy it because I'm talking directly to you. I'm not, I'm mm. not speaking any differently than when I talk to my patients. They need to understand our foundations of health. Mm. They need to understand what goes into a diagnosis. They don't need to know that we call it a PIP, a pattern impairment pathology diagnosis model, Mm -hmm. but they need to understand that they don't have a defective supraspinatus tendon. They weren't born with a defective supraspinatus tendon. They weren't born with a more susceptible to tear meniscus. They were born with some patterns that they did, some impairments that developed, and some pathologies that were taken care of, but it goes all the way back. And then in that impairment, as we were talking about, pillar prep is something that I think by the end of this, everyone will be like, cool, I'm on board. I totally get it. Thanks, Steve. And thanks for making it simple. And I'll say, no problem. Happy to. That's what I do. So to start our foundation about like the bottom of that pyramid, and, and we kind of talked touched on this last time, but this is where I would say that that I would say traditional Chinese medicine has been the biggest influence on me. So again, what one of people that I teach with, which is our integrated clinician, where our integrated clinician course, which we have coming up again, check on the website, but we have one coming up in November, and we're going to do one over the summer as well in August. Um, that's where we, instead of fighting with acupuncturists about dry needling legislation, we learn from one another mm. because. I can take an acupuncturist and make them into a super acupuncturist by teaching them this much movement science. Mm -hmm. And they can take me as a physical therapist, and Peter Dequino is the one who did this for me, and make me into a super... That sounds egotistical. A better physical therapist. Super physical therapist. Super physical therapist. You guys, I would never (laughs) say that about myself. No, no, no. By by simply looking at the body as a whole, I think it's so cool that Western people came up with a biopsychosocial model that had never been thought of in traditional Chinese medicine. Wait a minute. It was (laughs) thousands and thousands of years ago and there. And then, oh, we come up with movement science. Isn't that so cool that we did? Mm. Wait a minute. Tai Chi. They used to be packaged together. That was the beauty of it. You had your holistic traditional Chinese medicine that was looking at everything and maybe to a fault, uh, more like liver and things like everything being connected. But things are certainly in traditional Chinese medicine connected to more than just the pathology Mm -hmm. and then you also have to think about the movement science that was also part of it tai chi originally was with tradition was part of traditional chinese medicine and needles they had it all they had looking at the body as a as a whole unit and they had the treatment the manual therapy if you will Mm -hmm. and their guasha and their needles and they also had the movement science to back up what they were doing but we as americans just like passive modalities are like tai chi that's for hippies and then the needle. Oh, I can sleep because I'm so sympathetic right now. That makes me parasympathetic and it makes me feel better. Cool. And frankly, I don't even care where you put the needles as long as I get to lay on this table for one hour during my, my wretched life. So it's like, cool. So that's kind of where our foundations of health, which is, again, is the foundation of everything that we look at, is really important. So in that, we have your hydration and your diet. You have your sleep and stress, your exercise, your ergonomics, and breathing. Mm -hmm. Those are the seven things that I felt like I was constantly going at people and saying, like, hey, is there any chance that you're dehydrated? Is there any chance you have a really shitty diet? Is there any chance you're not sleeping all that well? And then it just kind of came like this, like... Mm. this is taking way too much time every time Mm -hmm. so what we do is we have it on our website and that definitely check out and link to it do whatever you want but our foundations of health on our website is really important for our new patients so every time that we send them their insurance which you know that's like the only time they're actually reading emails that we're (laughs) sending them we link to it and say check this out because this is how we think Mm -hmm. so you, you start to take a little bit of inventory about your hydration a little bit of inventory about your diet a little bit of sleep a little bit of stress a little bit of exercise a little bit of ergonomics a little bit of breathing just think about it Hmm, where, where do i fall on these and then after we do the whole evaluation At the end, when they're initializing their little waiver thing, it's right there. And we don't even make them feel bad. We say all these things and it's a little visual analog scale and it's great or not great. We Mm. don't even want to make like bad or good. No, great or not great. (laughs) That sounds really nice. So then we make sure that we start that conversation with them so that they understand that nothing happens in a vacuum, that your shoulder is more than just a tendon. Mm. And so we make sure that they understand, hey, you get 64 ounces. If you're an athlete, more, your diet in general, we know that's like, processed foods, I, I, I think it's funny because I, I study a, a lot of diet information, um, I, part, partially because I'm very curious about it for myself mm. and, and, and trying to look at how maybe ethics play into the way, uh, trying to balance the ethics and the... Um, anti-inflammatory longevity component and seeing where they intersect and where they don't. I always think it's really interesting. Walter Longo, who's uh, the U.S. The head of the USC Longevity Center, mm-hmm. been is a really interesting guy, and he's got a, got a bunch of great talks in general i recommend is stem talk which was awesome so if you google stem talk Walter longo longevity it'll come up mm. but it's some really interesting research that even like protein we can think about protein and we can talk about there being more or less protein in people's diets and there's some obviously calorie restrictions where earthworms have lived a lot longer and things like that and humans as well mm. but it's really interesting when you kind of look at and listen to someone where that's all that they do and it's it's pretty interesting stuff. So Hmm. I don't think anyone who's been talking about diet would say processed foods are good. (laughs) So let's just say that. And I do think in general that the research is trending more towards a plant slant. That being said, we all know that lean body mass, grip strength, aerobic capacity, lower extremity power are really important things. So it can only be to a point, and I'm not saying you can't get protein from other sources, but you do need to make sure that you are strong and figure out what your genetics and your microbiome are giving you for that. Mm -hmm. So that's our little diet talk. We talk about sleep, are you getting seven hours? Stress is obviously incredibly important. We do a lot of coping strategies. We, uh, uh, we have a link to Psychology Today, which is where they can find people for talk therapy. We think that's mm. so important. There's mm-hmm. no reason why physical therapy, no stigma. Talk therapy, big stigma. Let's just erase that right now. Mm-hmm. Um, our stress and our sleep, then exercise. Uh, we get a we get a mix of people like that like some it, where I work because it's out of a gym that's something I don't have to worry about but are you getting at least ten minutes of exercise every day like, mm-hmm. are you getting some sort of endorphins it doesn't have to be this crazy amount and then ergonomics is something we talk about too is not just seated ergonomics you know you're reclined to 110 degrees you have a foot rest to make sure that you can actually achieve that you have your monitor at the appropriate height but. Make sure that you can stand, that you have the ability to get a stand up workstation. And then also, you can lie down. Not everyone can at various times, but there are holders that can have tablets hang right over your head. Like, that's a really viable option and something Mm. that a lot of people could look into. So, we like to take the ergonomics not just from like one standpoint. We really like to look at it as like sitting, stand, laying down, getting everything that you need to go. So, those are those exercise ergonomics. And then breathing. Breathing's like, the number one thing which carries us kind of over into the next uh like into our PIP diagnosis model so for the breathing we give a lot of different strategies I think there's a lot there's you got your Wim Hof you got your shut your mouth breathing everyone talks about diaphragmatic breathing mm-hmm. yeah is shut that something that
1: mouth, you shut uh, shut your mouth breathing or at least nasal breathing mm-hmm. um was highlighted um uh, in jujitsu with uh we had another podcast uh, guest uh, Garnett Struther. Mm-hmm. Anyway, yeah. we were training and we were discussing the benefits of yeah. nasal breathing. And um, there's a whole, I think there's a whole YouTube special with a guy named Steve Maxwell. Um, he oh was yeah, one of the first gentlemen that brought kettlebells all over to the United States. Oh,
2: cool.
0: Yeah. So um, he he now. Are you familiar with him? Mike. I am not, actually. Uh, I'd highly... Do yeah. tell. Uh, ch- check him out. He's a fascinating story. I mean, he was one of the first kettlebell certified individuals with Pavel here in the States. Oh, cool. And then he's also a black belt in jiu-jitsu, but he left his life as doing kind of a nine-to-five, and all he wanted to do was travel the world. He literally has one bag. He has like one of everything in a bag, That's and cool. he goes all around the world and teaches mobility, mainly to jujitsu schools, and he does strength training. He's, he's older. He's like probably late 50s, maybe early 60s. Yeah. Um, well, a wise, but, a wise man
1: <clears throat> But uh, nasal breathing Yeah He speaks highly of it um, And you go There's a lot of research I mean on hmm. A lot of research and, and just anecdotally With my own You know Practice within BJJ And just training Even if I'm Running up a flight of steps Right Different from Totally suppose, uh, <laughs> Panic breathing <laughs> Yeah the panic breathing well, yeah, That's it's, the,
2: the yeah. thing I think a lot of breathing Starts with Oh Big inhale, big, and, and that's mimicking a sympathetic response, yeah, which is tough. T- to be honest with you, if you want my little life hack on like yeah. na- nasal breathing or that minimalistic breathing, mm. it's actually it's sit down in your shower and put where the shower is hitting, like right here, right here and right here and right here, and it forces, that doesn't really help anyone. Right, right, no. no. <laughs> put, it, put it on top of your head, then slowly more towards your forehead and down your forehead. Uh-huh. The more that hits the top of your head, you can breathe <laughs> any way you want. You're never gonna get any water snuck up into your nose but Uh, as you start to get that where that water's coming more towards your forehead if you were to take a big breath so this is steve's shower breathing (laughs) (laughs) that's good trademark (laughs) done but try it because because i think it's actually really hard for a lot of people i think it's hard to minimalistically breathe i think that am i doing too much am i doing too little you need some like feedback with that so in the shower if you sit down and you just put it the, the water stream, like on your forehead, if you were to breathe really big in that moment, it would actually give you a little bit of trouble. You kind of get some water up your nose. Mm-hmm. And then as you get better at breathing less and less and less, you can have the water start to hit the front of your forehead, the bottom of your forehead, and even closer to your nose, and you still will be able to get enough air in. So mm-hmm. try that out. That's it cool. was a little, little hack for for that because I think uh-huh. it's really important to to take your sympathetic – in your parasympathetic systems, and 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 be aware of what you're doing in the moment. Like Wim Hof, mm-hmm. you're breathing real big, love it. it. I would assume that for that, it's the the vagus nerve stimulation of the hold that exhale that yes. is so important. But the way that he gets there is through something that's a little more on the sympathetic side. So interesting and stuff. I've tried.
1: I've tried uh, Wim Hof. I tried. I was like about a month ago, but I followed his direction to make sure you're on a couch. But yeah. you get. You get totally light. I mean, it's like uh, you're hitting into another system. Yeah. Um, Very powerful.
2: And just love that dude. Oh, my God. Don't you just want to, like, hang out with him, do whatever? My God, what a a human.
0: Did you ever hear him on the uh, Joe Rogan podcast?
2: No, I only saw him on Lewis Howes.
0: Uh, I sent that to Luke, and Luke loved it because he's he's this huge, you know, nature and human connection, and and he uh, you know, connects it with his method. And also he's just got great philosophies on movement and exercise. He's been moving all his life. Um, and it's just really cool to hear it because his perspective on things and his ability to say, like, the more you're um, connecting with nature on a regular basis, the more it's going to change your chemical makeup and make these things easier for you, like with the breathing. And yeah, He's uh, got some tons yeah.
1: of research now, too. Where he, he does
0: with him. You probably know about the immuno- him. <laughs> I like,
2: know the things yeah, that he yeah. did, like injecting yes, uh, harmful. Yes, like, yes. Yes, Good, uh, good for yeah. you. <laughs> yeah, no, good luck. It's I'll crazy. be over here, not with my infections. But <laughs> he's, uh, good yeah. for him. No, well, no. He buys what he's selling. He, yeah. he embodies it. I think
1: Joe Rogan, as well as Russell, I think he has one with Russell Brand, oh, and that's it's another. Be to, like, oh, those guys. very, oh, very entertaining. To be a fly uh, on that
2: wall if they weren't in front of the microphones and just like out having a beer together. Sweet
3: God,
1: oh my we're God. That conversation. Cal. Well, how would you? Uh, you know, I've been exposed to different breathing practices, but definitely, you know, for my own practice with patients. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you kind of differentiate what technique to deliver to what patient? Yeah. Um, well, how, how would you uh, how would you categorize some of these breathing techniques? And again, how how to disseminate it to a person?
2: I think like, that the I think box breathing is just the easiest way to get into someone's brain. It doesn't even need to be because um, box breathing. You look and it's like four, 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 or you have a little bit longer exhale and hmm. different holds. It, it, it's really easy. I, I think that the buy-in is the most important thing. Right. So therefore, I start really simple like if we're if we're in the clinic and we're talking about breathing before we do something that's obviously different from when they're at home laying on their couch 30 minutes before they go to bed and I want to do something that's just gonna make them feel that buy-in as quickly as possible for me I start with the box breathing and make it a little bit different. We call it our integrated breathing. So mm. that four in, four hold, four out, four hold mm. in general to make it a little bit more applicable to them. And this is particularly with people that have like something going on in their brain is on the inhale, have them think about what's on their mind on the hold. Think about the next logical step on the exhale, relax your entire body. And on the hold of that exhale, just think about the most peaceful thing you can think of. So, for me, it's surfing. For you, it might be being on a mountain. For you, it might be rolling around in a gym, whatever. It's <laughs> yeah, very true. Calm <laughs> that's very relaxed. And yeah, things just totally, that's what that final exhale pause is. And mm. that's what we've done because it, you asked the same question that I ask. It's kind of like, well, I want there to be a little more than just the box. I think about the holds and how do I fit this for various people? And so, we came up with our integrated breathing which which puts a nice little like spin on your regular box breathing with the inhale what's on your mind the whole next logical step the exhale just totally relax your whole body and then have that hold be the most peaceful thing you can possibly think of so that's just where we start
1: um uh, how about you what's um for i'll use uh four two six often mm. where inhale for four hold for two exhale for six and then using some kind of uh, Sometimes it's a two-and-a-half-pound weight. Sometimes it's an iPhone. But the four seconds, really having them direct it toward the abdomen or crocodile breathing where yeah. you know have them face down sure. and using that as a little bit of a biofeedback so they could actually feel the pressure. Or often when I'm doing some type of manual therapy, let's say to the neck or anywhere, yeah. really, getting them aware of how they feel as they exhale. Let's say I'm on a trigger point mm-hmm. and they exhale that's a good way to buy. in. I'm like, listen, you know, I didn't do anything different. Right. You did. Yeah. So if your neck is tense, like mine's just spasmed up. I don't know if you noticed me oh, twitching. <laughs> um, I just went into like, let me get down there. Yeah. Let all the accessory muscles go. But I usually use four two six. to six. Okay. Um, and I find it to be helpful with all with the props. Yeah. And the buy-in is really letting the patient do it while they're in the office for about three to five minutes. Yeah. And then when they come off, they're like,
2: Yeah, it's it's, it's a, nice it's to a put, a put them shift. parasympathetic exactly. before they walk out the door. We all know what lies outside yes. the gym. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Another thing that that we're we're talking about is in part of our system, so this is in the course but this wasn't what we were gonna talk about today, is just Thinking about the connections between the diaphragm and between the pelvic floor, and just getting those two talking to each other, mm. which we we call it piston breathing, because you can really think about like as you expand through here, you're getting that diaphragm working, and and the pelvic floor is eccentrically working. But then, as you shift here, you're getting your obliques to work a little bit more, and that pelvic floor is a little more concentrically breathing. And we can talk about the way that we can cue them to, for the pelvic floor. Like I want you to picture that the pelvic floor goes from between four different bones it goes from your pubic bone to your tailbone and it goes from your right sit bone and your left sit bone and most people can kind of understand that and be cool Mm. and then just say hey okay and as you exhale i just gently want you to draw your tailbone a little bit closer to your pubic bone and i want you to then bring your sit bones closer to each other and now that that diamond's a little bit smaller i want you to bring it gently up towards your head Mm those tend to help people out. They, they start to understand they have a little bit more control over their body. And that's not a bad thing to do. I'm not saying I would yeah. do that for parasympathetic when they walk out, but right. that's more like a systems prep when they walk in. Like When we're born, when we're babies, right. we can suck, which is going to get that pelvic floor going. We can breathe, which is going to get that diaphragm. We kind of have the ability to get our heads back to neutral right. and we're looking all over the place. Why don't we start there when we systems prep people before we put them through a pillar prep and then their basic categories of exercise.
1: So So okay. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, the way you phrase it, the most important, I usually tell people, hey, this is going to seem weird, but the simplest, you know, the simplest thing we could do is probably the most important because, you know, you see them...
2: We've, yeah. forgotten, we've forgotten how to do it <laughs> it's all. It's crazy. You
0: know? It's amazing. I mean, I um, uh, my introduction to it's a very lower level kind of DNS course is the mm-hmm. original strength. Have you heard of original no, strength? No, I am not. Tell me, please. They're awesome. So um, I took one course in 2013, I think, and it's just, a, I believe it was two days, and they go over kind of like every rocking and rolling and crawling variation they can, breathing, breathing. But they talk about this stuff, but I I revisited it recently because I had a patient who was interested in learning about it for jujitsu, and he moved out to Colorado, and so uh, I wanted to send him a bunch of information. So just rereading everything, it came over in my head. I was like, you know, we're we're trying to, for the most part, in a general sense, we're trying to get patients to their bodies to exactly almost like regress to this and be like, remember, your body used to be able to learn these things just by interacting with the environment in itself. Yeah. <laughs> But now it's been kind of flooded with your your adult life, which is nothing bad it's just normal it's like yeah. you know you have to work, you have to deal with stress, you have to figure out how to pay your bills, you have to like endure a lot of stuff that's going to make you breathe different it's going to make you act different, make you uh, move a different way. But now we're trying to almost say to you all right now let's let's go backwards for a second let's let's see what your body's doing and see what it used to be able to do and, this is really cool and
2: think about one of the first you know within with three months if you will that you start to get some thoracic extension mm. through your t4 to t6 you know i'm, I'm not a pediatric therapist mm. but i can read textbooks so i know that <laughs> it's somewhere in yeah, that right, area right, right, you yes. know and how crazy is it that one of the first thing that's you know physiological flexion and things we already talked about but then where we start to kind of extend early on as a human that that we're putting people in chairs for hours a day that does the exact opposite like of course we're yeah. <laughs> what are you doing this is crazy that's not a good
1: regression no, by the way no um,
2: let's just have everything stop right there right, right, right. because that's it you're not going to be able to progress because you need that obviously the way that things build and yeah. this is like little tease for the rest of this episode but I mean our developmental dozen is taking our pillar prep and putting it towards human development what it's crazy yeah. but that's how we look at it and it is funny as you're developing you know as i'm prepping these courses and taking more and things like that it's just like oh man if we don't have that extension through there it's it's hard for the rest of the dominoes to fall how am i going to get all the way through to rotational stability and frontal stability and Hmm. my glutes and everything firing so I, i i think it's pretty interesting stuff yeah um and i don't think i think we have to look at it both ways it's like to treat people, we have to take them back to that. But then also the way that we set up ourselves in our environment, a la our foundations of health and ergonomics and things like that, have to at least somewhat encourage the things that we're trying to get. So mm, very
1: that's cool.
0: that. Yeah,
1: Very cool. Those foundations are, are great. I was going to ask how do you – one of my questions I had written down is like, how, how comfortable do you and your team feel delving into diet – Sleep, like, how do you kind of prescribe? We went over the breathing, we went over exercise, we understand that. But when you talk about diet and hydration, tons of information out there. Of course, there. yeah. Um, how specific do you get? Yeah, how because
2: spe- that—that's not necessarily our role. And and again, mm-hmm. I'm I'm the first one to admit that my ethics bias me. Like I'm plant based f- because I, right. it's ethical, and oh. I, didn't, I right. happen to lose thirty pounds and feel f- amazing. But mm-hmm. that's not why I did in the first place. And I'm not necessarily a person. That would, I think that it biases me as I'm admitting, but I'm a healthcare practitioner and I want people to be healthy. So I think that some of the quick things that I, with diet, I think comes alcohol. Um, I think that that's an easy one to talk to people about Mm. Um, and no one's going to be like. No way! No, I was right, like, right. "All right, well, yeah maybe, yeah, maybe it is a little <laughs> bit different." Yeah. Um, Absolutely. I think that, I think that, from my functional medicine doctor, it was really mm. interesting to hear her perspective because we were talking about like, yeah, maybe I'm a little like gluten sensitive, and she's like, "Well, what about when you have crackers?" And I'm like, "Honestly, I don't know." She's she said a lot of people actually have more trouble with specific forms of yeast than they necessarily do with gluten. It's not that they do or don't, that like all gluten sensitivity is really yeast sensitivity, but I was having trouble processing beer and I was having trouble with the amount of bread that I was putting into my body. Yeast is still the common denominator there along with gluten. So I think that that's an interesting one to talk to people about Mm. and see depending on where they get their pastas from or the different kind of grains and then which kind of yeast are going into which kind of breads that they're, that they're eating and how long they've actually been uh, kind of like fermented, at a, yeah. I guess. I guess the best way to say is like the most loaves that you're getting are produced massively. Where if someone's making their own bread, that's going to be in there for 12 hours, maybe, so it's already started to its its own breakdown. Like the mm. difference between eating a uh, having a kidney bean that's not really cooked right, right. all that way and one that <laughs> is cooked in a pressure cooker, it can be very different. So prep mm. really matters. So I'm usually happy to talk to people about that, and they're not very resistant if they've heard it on Dr. Oz. They're all about <laughs> it. They're exactly, be- yeah, sure. it's, it's amazing, it's,
1: it's, right? It's it's not like you setting up a meal plan for them but you're just hearing at their, you're hearing their general habits yeah. most importantly making them self-reflect right Making themselves
0: reflect, yeah, and that's I think with this, it's uh, especially if they get the email with the insurance information, right? Uh, the, uh, our previous guest that we had, Garnett, he talked about it too. I mean, we were making jokes about it, but you know, he, he was describing it as like people are just like a like a uh, like a head on a stick walking <laughs> around, just like not, just trying to, and it, it's just like this lack of connection with themselves. So just that simple conversation is like, oh, huh, well, let me think about this for a second. I never even thought about this, right?
2: So. And and I guess it's never a recommend. It's not necessarily recommendations. It's asking them questions that gets them to say, hmm, maybe there is something there. Yeah. The next thing, though, I do like, and, and there's interesting research on this. I'm just, but like, Talking to people about dairy sometimes that that matters you know like yeah. there's a, I have a ton of anecdotal evidence i 'm not saying there 's a, a ton of literature out there that absolutely supports that, but people are, are open to hearing about yeah. that. I can speak about my own mother, who like was having a terrible time because she used to just was so nervous about osteopenia and osteoporosis that she would drink one big glass of milk every night and we mm-hmm. kind of were like let 's just see how that 's a little bit different. And it made a big difference for her, but right, everybody's right, right, right. different. Right, right. So that, and then, and then I would say like that that you can talk to people about. I think I think that again, anecdotally, just about the amount of consumption of meat that they're eating. It, it, even if we're going like paleo, mm. it, it's interesting. Like paleo talks about eating what those during the paleolithic era. Mm. Do you think that they? Eight, it would, we're saying like these are the things that you can eat, but it feels like a lot of people have the proportions way off in that. Oh, for sure. You're not mm-hmm. you're not getting you're not going to order as in the pale You're not going to order for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Some meat. like you're going to mm. eat this once a
0: day. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like you're
2: lucky. That's a thing. <laughs> yeah. and, and why would you? Why would you if there's fruit on a tree or is That why be like I'm going to go fight that thing to <laughs> yeah. go get like, But then you know winter comes and it's a little bit different. And I understand yeah. that seasonally people probably shift. Their diets, right. right, right, wrong, or applicable or not to us. I think it's worth having those conversations. Yeah. So to answer your question, a lot of it is just trying to help people acknowledge what is and what might not be involved, and let them do their own homework on it. Right. So, That's but processed right foods always like yeah. come out. Yeah. See you later. And infl-
1: yeah, I mean, within that, the whole uh, inflammatory diet, as we would everything we're yeah. discussing, right all right very cool developmental
0: dozen Let's oh do we're it. getting there we're getting there we still uh, got to do good. PIP diagnosis oh PIP diagnosis I apologize no no yeah. no PIP so,
2: so the PIP diagnosis model th- this is where this comes from having students I'm sure y'all have had a ton of students oh, yes. mm. oh, yeah. and I think one of the big challenges is that a P, uh, PT student comes out mm. and I'm like so tell me what's up with them and the first thing they do is like, super spinatus terror, I would say grade one, grade two, and because I, it was an empty can test and oh. I had a news impingement that <laughs> was tender right? to And I'm like, no, look, cool. A plus. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> but what's up with them? Like, yeah, what's yeah, really yeah. going on with them? <clears throat> and, and I found it annoying because I'm like asking questions and I seem combative and people then get defensive and I'm just like, what the, how do I do this better? No. Like, I don't want to be that guy who's like, no, no, no. Like, give me more of the story. Give me the more of the story. Like, I need to give you... The questions that I want answered to tell me that story, and so that's where the PIP diagnosis model came up with. So to start it from the beginning, mm. it's pattern, impairment, pathology. Hmm. Cool. But let's actually take it, and it's because it's palindrome. It's easy. Let's take you it from the it. from the exactly. Well, hmm. let's start with pathology, go to impairment, and then go to pattern, and and that's where it's kind of uh, where that's, it's a little bit cool, special dude. is it. it because people come to you and we'll just take the most easy throwaway, like meniscus tear. Mm-hmm. So they're like, script meniscus tear. I have a meniscus tear. It was confirmed <laughs> on MRI. The meniscus is torn, people. It's torn. Just if you haven't seen <laughs> like, it, like, exactly. It's torn right there. I brought the <laughs> like, image with me. Like, exactly. <laughs> Do you
0: want to see it? Exactly. You know? <laughs> like, I can open it up. <laughs> no.
3: just like, cool. I'm not going to
0: change into shorts, though. Yeah. Well, no, no. <laughs>
2: And then everyone and every clinician who's kind of, like, well round is kind of like, cool. Yeah. Well, nothing I can do about that. Nothing I can do about that torn meniscus, one. And I think we all feel comfortable. But I think the adding on the like... You do realize you weren't born with a defective meniscus. Right. like there's mm-hmm. no way that that's the problem, right? Just mm-hmm. so we're all and they're like, "Wait, wait, wait, what? But, <laughs> it's but, torn. But WebMD, no. but it's torn. I'm like I, don't, I care. I care because I care because <laughs> I care about you as a human being, but I don't give <laughs> about what what your MRI says to get me to what I need to do to help you. I, ca- I need to care because I need to protect certain things. I'm not just like MRIs. Yeah, I, I think yeah, that yeah. They're, they have a place for what? sure. And we need to uh, understanding the structures that lie beneath can help guide us. But that's not going to help me towards the plan to actually get you out of here in the slightest. Sure. So that's where I was kind of like, let's take it back one. So that was where the I came from, which is impairments. I used to be very and now i do more functional testing but i still do i mean i clear out all logical impairments that could be contributing to a person's pathology i'm not just checking hip external rotation abduction and extension strength for meniscus i'm looking at it all and that's where the pillar prep comes in and that's where the crazy eight comes in but Mm. it's really important for people to understand that those are the things that got you here in the first place. But wait, there's more. (laughs) You weren't born with a shoddy glute mead. You weren't Uh. born with a stiff hip. You weren't born with whatever other physical impairment can come through. Mm. There's usually some sort of pattern that's driving that. I, I I think that it's really interesting. We talked about this before, but people sitting at desks all the time end up driving a pattern that doesn't allow them to extend through the thoracic spine. So let's even take a different diagnosis. Like here's your PIP for a supraspinatus. Your pathology is supraspinatus, tendinopathy. Your impairment is a stiff T-spine. Your pattern is sitting at your computer for six to eight hours. So that's your PIP diagnosis model. Like Give me the whole story about the person. I wanna understand everything. Mm -hmm. So that's where we kind of looked at it, especially with my students where I was like, give me more ask more questions, ask better questions. Like I need to ask you better questions so that you can ask them better questions to find out what's really going on. Mm -hmm. How do you sleep? Where's your mouse? I use my mouse on my left side. I I think us putting human beings right rotated for a dominant amount of their life is not the best idea that we've ever had. Mm -hmm. So I actually use, I'm a righty, but I use my mouse on my left side. I've completely switched my hand I with my left. I use my mouth on my left. I actually can write with my left now. Oh, wow. yeah. cool. over the last how, how long have you been using six to eight months alright yeah. wow, but powerful. been about like three to four months it actually got semi-legible and now now if I'm journaling depending on what's going on I'll write what I what what's on my mind on the right which is with my good hand and then on the left I'll write what I learned because I really want that driven home mm-hmm. like what I learned from this situation do it mm-hmm. with my left hand and make it a little bit better and it like takes a little more time but you know that it's really going in there that's so funny
0: I, I have a history of a really uh, injured shoulder on my left side and uh, it, it kind of peaked out I can't remember when it was maybe 2012 to 2013 so uh, I started to experiment um, with my my left side doing all these things but I, I didn't do the writing so. oh
2: switch your, our switch your hand initiative started yeah, yeah. about yeah, no. five months ago <laughs> yeah. check us out on Instagram oh, it awesome. was huge oh, exactly cool. zero people did it but <laughs> did we put it out there yeah we did no switch your hand switch world. I, I found it was so you get better with people's names. Yeah. Right, Aaron? <laughs> Luke, right? <laughs> it's just funny. As that soon as I say, I'll always cool. say that. I'll be like, it even makes me better with names. And then I'll, tell will use the wrong name for them. It's like this like idiot. <laughs> exactly.
1: <laughs> oh, no, you got it. You got it down. That's a pretty cool concept. Yeah. Um, switch your hand initiative. Integrated like health sciences.
2: <laughs> Boom. Challenge people to it too. Just do it with them. You can do it 30 days. Like switch your hand with your, with your eating, switch your hand with, brush and y- with your brushing teeth. Exactly. Like build on it. Like, it's easy Mm. to brush your teeth so start with that for 10 days but Mm. carry that over then start to eat and then the last 10 days you can start to write and if you like it then you can use your mouse on it so very cool. cool it's cool nice so those are all your patterns and things like that i think that they really do play a big part again your impairments are your strengths and your range of motion but they don't happen in a vacuum either and your pathology that's 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 the thing that is just unfortunately giving you that's what gets the people through the door, but that's not where it started. So take it back, take it back. So that's our PIP diagnosis model. So in the eye, though, is the impairments. And that's where we're a little bit this is maybe where we even put more of our brand. And as I'm saying, it's like PIP diagnosed while is was totally us. Like that's, that's not something I don't think anyone thinks that looking at pathology impairments and patterns is something new and improved, but, but talking about them all together every time I actually is unique. and yeah. is something that we came up with and something that we're proud of. So the eye is probably it. the most fun thing that we'll talk about again, that impairments. And for us, the thing we'll talk about right now is our pillar prep. So do you guys think about pillar prep in general? Is that is this a word that is common in your vernacular? And I mean that like wholeheartedly, because most people go no. dead eyes when I talk about it.
0: Yeah, yeah no, I, have, I don't usually um, use it like this, but I'm assuming it's just, like the basics that every human should be able to, you know, have some proficiency in.
2: Exactly, <laughs> yeah. and and I think that that so we first came across pillar prep after a after a. Carl went to Exos for the first time. Mm. So they started talking about pillar prep and I remember exactly kind of like how we're having this kind of, I'm like what are you
3: talking about? Yeah. <laughs> like
2: like it's like it's like it's like if I'm not a cl- if I'm just a regular person I have abs and if I'm like uh uh working with a trainer like a regular trainer that like New York sports or whatever, I have like a core. And like, that's like, yeah, core, that's it. Then that's I got it. a core and yeah. now you're saying this pillar prep thing. And I'm just like, what are you talking about <laughs> now? But I totally get it. In fact, I remember looking back after we talked about core, and like when we learned core in, in school for me, it was like pelvic floor, lumbar multifidus diaphragm and transverse abdominis. But then as I started reading a little bit more strength, um, textbooks it was like really anything in your torso can be considered your core and i was like i kind of like that but it's a little too vague for me i'm not totally comfortable saying Mm -hmm. that in front of a large group of people and then that's it so then when carl came back and was talking about pillar prep after exos and talking about just getting this area kind of like from your shoulders to like your thighs going. Mm. It, I, I was like, okay, th- there's something there. And in the way that it was kind of described was like 360 getting everything kind of working. And I thought that that was cool, but I found that very hard to implement it to practice. I hope that someone would just give me pillar prep exercises so <laughs> that I could do them so that I didn't have to think about what was going on. And like, that's one less thing I have to worry about. Mm. But then once you start teaching and specifically we teach anatomy, we realized that we needed to give people boxes to check and buckets to put things in. Right. So for us, for our pillar prep, and, and um, University of Colorado actually has the best definition of like pillar prep definition, and mm. it's and it's the muscles that insert into the shoulders, the muscles that insert into the hips, and everything in between. And I thought mm. that was a really cool way to slice it up and make it good. But again, that's abstract. If I tell a new therapist or a, even a somewhat seasoned um, trainer her that, that that's the pillar prep. So now go prep that person It's no. going to take them half an hour. Mm. They're going to overshoot the landing probably and not totally understand what we're going for. So we're lucky. Cause like I said, we teach every single week we teach to the trainers at Gotham. So we were lucky that when we were talking about pillar prep for ourselves and for our patients, we also were teaching anatomy at that time. And what did we happen to be at ranges of motion?
3: Mm.
2: Why do we need to go any further than that? If we hit all of the major ranges of motion of the trunk, the hips and the scap and shoulder, I think we're pretty darn good. So our pillar prep definition takes it more than just, the muscles at like that insert into those joints, the shoulders down to the hips, and then that's it. We broke it down into muscle groups. So you have your trunk flexors, extensors, rotators, side benders, your hip flexors, extensors, abductors, adductors, external rotators, internal rotators, mm. and you gotta be able to stabilize your scap and shoulder anterior and stabilize your scap and shoulder posterior. Mm. That's your 12. That's important, and if you hit that, and you can hit that really easily with someone, because there's a lot of you side plank. Congratulations, you got your trunk side benders and your hip abductors. Boom! Congratulations, you're doing uh, let's say elbow taps. You're getting your anti-rotators, your trunk flexors, and you're getting your um, you're getting your anterior scap stabilizers. Like, mm-hmm. cool. Like it doesn't. You don't need one for every single no. one. Oh, no. But if you're a new trainer, if you're new to this do it. Just do one. Just take time. And if you'd really want to learn more about this, obviously we're going to be going through multiple ways to get this at the course. Like like the lengthy way, but then also that kind of the quick and dirty one. Right. And just making sure that we cover all of our bases through there. So that was where For us, taking something that I found challenging, again, benefiting from my non-hyper intelligence was really nice in this scenario (laughs) because I needed buckets. If I was going to use this for myself, I needed buckets, I needed circuit. I needed to think of it as a circuit breaker model, and that's really how we look at the nervous system. It's like you have your circuit box, which is your brain, and these are the 12 most important circuit breakers that you need to make sure are all tripped on. Boom, 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 boom. Because these are going to all mix together. And that's probably where you see it, is if you test these. And this is how, uh, sincerely, for any patient who comes in I already have it written out on the board that I'm going to be going over these 12 with them. I have trunk flexors, extensors, rotators, side benders, hip flexors, extensors, external rotators, internal rotators, abductor, adductor, scap anterior, scap posterior, and I have all that written on our little board before they even walk in so that they realize like this is the root of your problem. Mm -hmm. We'll talk about the patterns, like I said, the PIP diagnosis model, but right now, today, I want to know where your impairments are because they travel together. Your Mm -hmm. glute med isn't defective there's something that's not happening some sort of precursor that needs to end up helping to happen first so that that can fire it may be your obliques it may be your adductor group it may be your hip internal rotators it may be your hip extensors I don't know. And that's one thing where it's fun is like, as I'm prepping this, I'm not giving you any sort of formula, but you do need to look at these 12 people, 12 things on every person that walks through. Mm -hmm. And you better be able to tell me by the time that you walk out what the three or four are that are the worst, because they're playing with each other. There's no doubt that if they don't have good anti-rotation stability and their glute meat isn't working all that well, though. They're connected. Absolutely. And in general, and I don't know why I'm I'm totally happy saying this, that like the lack of anti rotation stability doesn't let the gluten mead go. I'm not making I'm not making rules for anyone for anything, but I do feel very comfortable saying that in general I think a lack of anti rotation strength will inhibit glutes. I don't know why. I don't particularly care why, mm. because I know that if I can treat them as a cluster of let's say they're three or four biggest impairments, which is also their lowest hanging fruit. If I really blast those in different sequences, if I can raise the tide, I'm going to have to raise that tide together. If I can get their anti-rotators up a little bit, I know that I'll get that much out of the glutes. And so that's how we look at everything. Now, if we do want to look for a sequence, that's where we get into at the developmental dozen. But when I'm purely just looking at it, the first thing when they come in is I need to walk out understanding what their physical impairments are in their pillar in their pillar prep, where are they deficient? Where are they lacking in their trunk, their hips and their scap shoulder? Mm. And once I understand that, then I can use my developmental and that's where the developmental doesn't comes in. Like then I can start to use my, well, I know that in typical human development, this plays off of this, but in general, the underlying answer is if I can raise the tide of these these lowest hanging fruits together, that's going to work really well for them. And I have to raise them together. I can't just give someone a whole bunch of glute meat exercise if their glute meat isn't working. That's not the problem. They weren't born with a shoddy glute meat. You have to get at the root. And I think that this is the root of the problem and making sure that we understand that they don't happen in isolation and that I need to, get some things turned on to turn on other things to give it a better foundation. That's, that's awesome. Yeah,
1: that's great stuff. I mean, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, this, is everything that's important. I think so, <laughs> no, and, and I, it yeah. is, and it,
2: so I came up with this before I even cracked a book, and now we're going to go into the developmental dozen, but I cracked a book Book on childhood development. I knew that this was worth it. You know, we go down and do a medical mission every year um, mm. in Ecuador. Yes. And and once I heard for the nine hundredth time, one of the clinicians down there who actually works in Pete say, Yo, you don't control the hips. You don't lock down that pelvis. You don't control the kid. Like, trust me, if you can get those hips locked into that chair, that child's tone is going to totally change, and everything's going to start working. So. we had already taught the anatomy this chronology of how it kind of went it's like pillar prep hmm cool concept don't know how to use it hmm okay now I think I understand it's still really hard to use and wouldn't feel comfortable teaching it then we taught anatomy and we're like oh okay well I can't quantify this and then the next thing that we did was like well is this even worth anyone looking at and Mm. then when we were down for a medical mission in Ecuador it was like this is so important this is exactly how it needs to be but then the next thing that we went to was like all right. so now that we know that it can relate to pediatrics? How do we make it even just a little bit better? I don't think you're wrong ever. If you just go trunks, hips, scap and shoulder, you're totally fine. If that's how you want to do it. And it's just easy. And a lot of trainers do that just because it's a lot easier. That's how they go down. But I don't think that it's A bad idea to think about, Lee, what you were saying is that typical human development. Mm. So that's where we came up with the developmental dozen. Now, I'm not going to go through the entire thing, but I will give you some kind of framework Mm -hmm. where in general, we do develop a little more in the sagittal plane first. And then you can start to have a little bit of rotation, like the transverse and the frontal planes kind of come around the same time. They start to work together. So when we wanted to do our pillar prep, just a little bit better and a little bit different, we took the the typical milestones, and again, different textbooks can give you a little bit different answers, but in general, we took the general progression that humans develop, and then we made our pillar prep modeled after that. And Mm. doesn't mean that sometimes I don't just go all trunk, and then all hip, and all scap. That's still so much better than what most people are getting, Mm. but to give it just our little bit of our own brand, we made it the developmental dozen, and we made it modeled after human development. So for that, you're gonna to have to take the course. That type of thing. So <laughs> so that's cool, kinda awesome. how we that's kinda how we look at everything. Um, I think that that's the, I think that those are the things that we've come come up with or we've snagged, like obviously Foundations of Health we didn't come up with ourselves. Mm -hmm. Um, But those are the things with that Foundations of Health, the PIP diagnosis model, and as for that eye, that impairment, I think the Pillar Prep is definitely the thing that we do a little bit differently. And for us, it's been really helpful. Um, I I love manual, I still have, I don't think, I mean, it's me, it's part of me, but like I'll always be manual therapy certified from University of St. Augustine, Mm. I will still, busted my hump to get those letters after my name and found for the right person, that is really helpful. But in general, I've shifted much more towards caring about their pillar prep than their P to A on their spine.
1: Got mm. it. That was my next question to you. Like if someone came from a purely manual world and they saw this like, well where is joint mobility? You know, where yeah. is joint mobility? Where is you know norms? You know, sure. No, could, and
2: that, and that's fine. <clears> and and we didn't talk about it. It's as good no, a time right. to talk about it now. But like our crazy eight. Which is our which is funny, it's like I'm using a I feel like I'm using such an outdated like Crazy Eight is a card game. (laughs) Crazy Eights. But I feel like any I maybe we gotta change the name because I feel like (laughs) kids these days are just like, What are cards? (laughs) I'm sorry, is there an app for that? Uh, Like (laughs) our Fortnite eight. Like I don't know, that's like fourteen. But either way, our crazy eight is a little bit closer to what you're talking about. So that's our eight functional tests that we use. And there's a little bit of overlap with the pillar prep, but if I can only do one I I promise you I'm doing pillar prep. Because the crazy eight is still gonna be victim to the pillar prep. So for our Mm. crazy eight, we're looking at, we're doing, again, Feel free, if, if you're not familiar with any of these, you probably be a good portion person to take the course. But you have your cowboy sit, you have your 99 shin box, then straight from the pillar prep, you have your hip extensor strength and your hip flexor strength. So important. Mm-hmm. Anti-rotation, single leg stance, cervical range of motion, wall angels. Like Those are the things that we're looking mm-hmm. at functionally. And that's actually not that we don't do that with every single patient, but I do we do teach that to the trainers as their assessments. Uh, and it's a really good way. So you do get a little bit of joint mobility. Like maybe I'm not right. taking the, the hip and seeing if it can no. posteriorly glide, but if I can see that it's going into internal rotation in their shin box, cool. Right, you know, it, right. it, it, we catch a lot of the things. We, we wanna take all the physical impairments that we see that happen so much. Like if you have a really stiff first toe on either side, that's problematic. Drop them into a cowboy sit and it's not just me being like, Oh, look at this. Look, there's nothing oh, here. Right, like, right, oh yeah, right, it's right, definitely right, do you feel right. how stiff that is? It's so <laughs> stiff. Oh, right, right, as right. Stiff as I've <laughs> ever felt. It's like here, here's a cowboy sit. Jump in it. Where do you feel? What do you feel? I don't ask any other questions than that. I don't want to guide them towards mm. anything. I want to bias them towards anything. Where do you feel what do you feel? That's it. Oh, you feel that in your big toe on your right and on your left? Well that's a problem. Yeah. You're in a shin box and you feel it on the internally rotated side on your left, that's a problem. You feel like you can't get straight up? Cool. You can't do five rotating planks rolling through. Like, you know, you have your elbow taps. We kind of added a little bit to make it a little bit more so that we could get um, a little bit more of the side bending. So we actually shifted from our original crazy eight. We took out our elbow taps and we put in a rotating plank plus so that we could get a little bit more um, sit, abductors and side benders in there as well. But if you can't hold, if you can't rotate through a plank from a side plank to a front plank, raise one arm, raise one arm, other side, side plank, y- y- you got real problems. And so then we go through there, C-spine range of motion is obviously very really important. Mm. Single leg stance isn't very specific, but it's pretty sensitive. And and this is like one other little anecdote, but we've taught this to trainers and we've also taught this to yoga instructors. And it's just so funny because people... In the strength world, would probably be like, "Oh, yoga instructors like they're, right. they're they're so flaccid and they can't do whatever." <laughs> it's like mm, everyone's different. Like yeah, look yeah, at yeah. your buddy over there, what he's doing. Yeah, yeah, he can't you, move. Exactly. Yeah. Like you can't you can't really look at things. Uh, I think people, when their biases are showing, tend to pick the worst uh, rather than the best of what exists oh, sure. out there. But I mean, we went through our crazy eight with a whole group of trainers and with a whole bunch of yoga instructors. And it was just kind of funny because maybe the yoga instructors had a little bit more trouble when they were doing some of the, specifically like anti-rotation they were having trouble with. Like in Mm. that portion of the rotating plank, that was actually back when it was just elbow taps. They were having a little bit of trouble with this, but their wall angels were a little bit better. Um, Their cowboy sit was better than the trainers, yada, yada, yada. But the biggest discrepancy was crazy. It was a single leg stance. So we do it, eyes open, 20 seconds, eyes closed, 10 seconds. And we have them in like a 90-90 position with their opposite leg and plug their fingers really hard into the ground. Just trying to eliminate everything that could possibly go wrong. And then it was just so funny because the trainers are just like, whatever. And I, I we got to the yoga instructors. We just happened to teach them after. And they just nailed it. Oh. Like they was, it was was beautiful mm-hmm. and I was so proud and I think I started clap with threw him off a little bit but I was like, hey, like that's right that's how you train so you gotta do them all. Take yeah, all your, your crazy eight, take your pillar prep, and go for it. You know, from this podcast, you have enough to, to kind of like go and run, but if you wanna kind of see it in action, like we pick one of each of our pillar prep where it's almost like a tester size. I hate that name, it's uh-uh. such a stupid, friggin' name. You ever think of something you're like, we're gonna say this and make fun of ourselves all in one fell swoop, <laughs> but we have our tester sizes because everything's gotta be functional, so it's an exercise that's also a test. But we'll give you the best ones. And also in our movement science, then we take it for the rest of our basic categories of exercise. Like pillar prep is the first of the basic categories of exercise. Then your squat, your hinge, your lunge, your push and your pull, which are vertical and horizontal, and then your locomotion. And then we add it in rotation to ours. Like, you know, I think a lot of people have like six or seven. Like we really think the pillar prep is really important mm-hmm. on the front side, but <clears throat> we can't neglect rotation like rotation has to be in there maybe yeah. that's just your finishers and things like that but you need to do your trunk either anti-rotation or rotation work in the beginning as part of your pillar prep but it's not a bad way to finish you off as well with some finishers so that's kind of how we carry it all the way through and that's Sounds our seven. that's how we
0: roll that's so cool
1: that is very cool i mean it's very um no pun intended but integrated <laughs> that's there the name go. But, name. um, the, you know, just how everything kind of connects. And again, it, as you said, I think for trainers, therapists, this is all should be pretty recognizable, uh, for anybody.
2: Totally.
0: Right. So, with, I, with, uh, with patients, do you put this on like a board and you say, that like, yeah. we are going to go through this? Oh, yeah. Before
2: they walk in, so that they know that, that this is not, um, not negotiable. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. but the last one I went to just kind of rubbed it on the first session. Yeah. <laughs> no, it felt better. Like, and listen, someone comes in with like a hot disc in their neck. I'm not going to put them through this shit. But I would say 85% of the time, I, 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 it'll already be written. I'll just, right. 15% of the time, I'll be like, you know what? Yeah, you're probably right. Yeah, I not mean, going Don't, day, don't right. stress. Day one, yeah. yeah. But, but no, to- like, seriously, day one for almost everyone that I can think of mm. other than that person who has a neck radiculopathy. Mm. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like and they're just crying cuz it, it's killing them. Mm-hmm. But yeah, no, everyone gets this. And then if yes. if we want a little bit more, we'll start to mix in the crazy eights later cuz we don't want to overwhelm. 20 tests on the first day would be would be kind of tough. Mm. I find the pillar prep to be more at the root of their problems. So we hit that. And then obviously hmm. talk to them and like, you know, rule out certain things. Not like I don't do special tests like everyone else, but in general, I want them to see this first so that they understand where, a little bit more about the origins of their problem. We can talk about the patterns before that, but in that PIP diagnosis model, these to me are the most important impairments. And then you can get more local, you know, have them do like a Z press to see how their strength is. Like I wonder with you, with your left shoulder, like Mm. if you do a bottoms up Z press, what's that gonna look like on both sides?
3: Terrible. Yeah,
2: just, you know, like (laughs) it's it's no problem, but Mm. so you can obviously get a little bit more specific with stuff And I would, and I think it's important to get the local, but these global, really, really important. That's That's great
1: from a practice perspective, too. I mean, obviously, you have X amount of years of experience, a ton of continuing ed, so there's a lot of information, but this kind of organizes it for you, so, (laughs) you know, you're delivering. You're focusing on your patient, but how you approach that patient's not necessarily going to change. I mean, it's going to change, but objectively, you have your... You have your system, basically. Right,
2: and for now. I mean, that's right. that's a thing. And, and also, you said, like, trainers can look at this. Like, it, trainers, if, if you do any of the words that I said about the ranges of motion, you can also go on our website under our exercise science. Uh, learn FIRE. So FIRE is our functional integrated rehabilitation exercise. That's our thing. Mm-hmm. That's You know, everything's functional. Everything's mm-hmm. integrated. We we left rehabilitation because we could have changed that to resistance like we definitely played around with that a lot but the the rehabilitation i thought was important to make sure that everyone knew that the risk reward on these things was just in the right place Mm. so we left that in through there Mm. and then exercise so click on learn fire and then click click through and at the top there's a pre-course manual that pre-course manual that we give out to all of our uh, trainers and yoga instructors is up there so if you're not familiar with what trunk flexion looks like or trunk extension or what hip external rotation looks like that's all on our website so you can start to play around with those a little bit yourself so i just wanted to know like everyone can even if you're just a a a, a true student and you want to mm. learn more as a quote unquote patient, mm-hmm. you can check out a lot of this stuff on your own and kind of see where you think. Now realize when I'm talking about the pillar prep, I'm talking about the, the abilities of the muscles that do that, not that range of motion just to, to totally set that out there. But yes, in general, anyone can kind of pick up this podcast, go on our website and get a little bit better, uh, handle on, on what their body's doing.
1: What's the feedback from, uh, from patients. I mean, with the educational piece? Cause as you said, you know, there's certain people here in New York They want to be fixed. They don't necessarily want to, uh, they feel like they don't want to learn. And obviously that's a, that's not a smart move, but, um, you know, they don't want to learn. And uh, how do you approach that? Like when the person says, rub me here or right. You, yeah. How do you approach?
2: I, I, I think I'm one of the worst people to answer that question because in a, it, because I worked hard throughout my entire career most people are coming word of mouth. They somewhat know what they're in for. Gotcha. And they're already viewing me as the expert. Again, gotcha. I'm not saying I'm special. I'm just saying oh, I've been right. around long enough that when people come, they yeah. already I, – I get – as the owner of the company and as someone who looks like they've been doing this for a little bit, I don't get a lot of pushback, pushback. anymore. Like last week I had someone who almost started crying because she, her ART person – had had hurt themselves so they couldn't do it. So that's why she found me. Got it. Got and I told I, I just simply said, if that was working, you wouldn't be here. So let's just try something different. Right, right, right. And she was okay with it. And then once we got her into these things and seriously like her hip abductors doctors were so weak and I was like, Do you think I'm gonna my thumb is going to change that? It's not. We got to work our way out of it and then explaining everything. And again, like I have the, the on, I have the, the honor that I get to teach. So, I can click into that education yes. real, real quick. And that education voice sounds so good. So good. <laughs> you can never argue with this guy. No. Clearly, he knows what's going on. And he just said he's going to be interviewed for a podcast. <laughs> 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 Incredibly brilliant and attractive. So it's like, oh, it's great. you know, whatever it is. But I think I hate to say this, but I am one of the worst people to answer that question yeah. because, A, I'm at a point where I have a wait list most of the time. If someone gives me that much trouble, they're not going to be with me for very long. No, and no, that's no. totally Pool. but people tend not to give me trouble I think cuz I educate the fuck out of them. Right. It, that's where it comes in. Once it's if it's written on through there and saying like no we teach this like we not only teach this to uh, to trainers but we also teach it to other therapists they're willing to give it two or three tries and if you can just get them to buy in enough to see where how weak they are mm-hmm. in one out of these 12 tests you got them.
1: Right. right. Mm-hmm. right. And, and your referral sources too cuz most of these trainers might have some work done or, or taking a course. So again, that, that word of mouth, uh, I agree with you. That word of mouth, you know, you become the expert. Right. Right. Very quickly.
0: So. Are you, uh-huh. um, out of curiosity, are you, are you keeping stats? I'm I'm so,
2: uh... Uh- on our, on our patients and on the pillar. Yeah, props. just like
0: general stuff like uh, diagnoses who come in and then like how, what they You know do what? Or... They're there.
2: Yeah. I have never compiled them, but I have because I write this all on a glass. Um, it, it, where we're at, it's a mm. semi-private studio, mm. so there's a glass wall. Cool. I just write right on it and then at the end I take the white pillow, put it behind what I wrote. They take a picture and send it to me so that I know that they have it and then I have it. Oh, cool. So I actually do have Oh, I have everyone's pillar prep, nice. where they're at, and I obviously have their diagnosis. Got it. I, that'll be a fun little project when I have my next intern. The, yeah, <laughs> like, right, 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 exactly. Let's take a look at something this. Something with uh, this. Yeah,
0: I I, I think it would be cool just to because this is a very what what you're doing. What seems like you're doing is you're taking all these fantastic systems, and then you're taking your own experience, and you're taking um, the education that you've had, and you're putting it all together into a, a new system. Right. So that in terms of, you know, we're always trying to think like of the effectiveness and things like that. Yeah, functional
2: outcome stuff and whatever we even could like, if we could do it all, like here's your diagnosis, here with the impairments. Mm -hmm. Because we know your impairments, we know what we focus on. But in general still, even if we, let's say that someone comes in and out of this, they have uh, trouble rotating to the right and they have a left hip flexor that's weak and the right glute max isn't firing or right hip extension isn't great Mm -hmm. we're still hitting all of the pillar prep every time Mm -hmm. we go but we may start and end with that we may mix a little bit more we may sequence the rotators then to the hip flexors then to the extensors then back to the hip flexor then back to the glute then back to the rotators we might take it all through there so i would be curious if you did look at all of our notes that we take on Mm -hmm. everything um how well I know that we honor our model. I'm just curious if our notes would reflect what we actually did in that day. And I, but I am curious, even oh, just cool. saying like this is how we look at it. Here, mm. here's for these diagnoses. This is what we came up with. Mm-hmm. And then just if we did a little bit more functional outcome stuff, saying I'm sure that there's norms that we could compare ourselves to be awesome. for different, um, for different, for different diagnoses, and see how most people improve. Yeah, that was very. So, so that's all that. Do you mind I if we it. talk for two seconds? It's sure. just like one thing while we have the sure. the floor. But um, just about billing practices. I know yeah, this is like a total no. shift from what we just did. No, you it's, thought it's we were going to be talking, talking relevant. about no, no it's <laughs> all I, I, it's all relevant, man. Yeah. It's what we deal with twenty. Yeah, well, all it's, day. it's it's just something that I felt like I needed to say on a on uh, on a greater stage because I heard it on a greater stage and what I heard was wrong. Hmm. So I had heard and I wouldn't give any specific names of which podcast, but a very, very highly regarded podcast was, it was a, the interviewer was interviewing someone who did, who ran multiple practices and they were talking about billing practices for out of network. Mm -hmm. And I felt like I had always heard like, you know, you're out of network, so you don't have any contracts with the insurance companies, you can do whatever you want, whatever, (laughs) like that's it. And, and, and that was more or less what was, what what was shared with the with the podcast that I know thousands and thousands, of, particularly new physical therapists, were listening to,
3: uh-huh.
2: and and I feel like this is worth saying that is wrong. Right. How you treat the person off the street, what you bill that person, what you collect from the patient, and what you bill the insurance companies have to be the same. So right. it was interesting. I I talk, I went and talked to some billers and some lawyers after hearing that and was kind of like is this is this true i mm. mean this like that sounds great mm. so what was the biggest soundbite that i think is important for all the people who might be starting their own practices or anyone who owns or may own a clinic is the the kind kind way that the lawyer phrased it to me he said listen if you ask accountants And you ask tax attorneys the same question. You're going to get two different answers. Mm -hmm. The accountants will tell you what's common practice. The tax attorney will tell you what the law says. The law says that if I have someone come in and I am charging them until they meet their deductible $200 out of pocket, I have to bill the insurance $200. $200. Yeah. But that is not what this Podcasts. with this resource was sharing. Exactly. Right. And I think it's important for people to know that. Um, again, that's just like one little practice management. If you listened before you heard a, a lot more practice management stuff, but I wanted to make sure that got out there. Mm. Um, also this is just as good a time to mention, but you can schedule one-on-ones consulting with me. That is like, this sounds like a shameless, but it's the only time to really mention this yeah. is I have now shifted my schedule to have availability for consulting so if, if, if cool. that was something that was a surprise to you you might want to spend one hour on the phone with me so we can go through everything and most yeah. of them are things where I'm learning from where I thought it was this and it's this and I can tell you the whole backstory, so it doesn't mm-hmm. seem like I'm just saying like I, I'm not just regurgitating information that I got from other podcasts I'm telling you from talking to my lawyers and to accountants and things like that so feel free to take me up on that it's really easy you just mm-hmm. scroll down to the bottom of our website it says Click here to make an appointment, make a one-on-one business consultation with Steve and just fill out the paperwork and you're all good.
1: Very cool. That's awesome. With that information, have you ever heard of anybody being
2: chased down for that reason? Mm. I mean, has that, that That was what the lawyer was really kind about. He's like, listen, <clears throat> the chances of you getting having trouble as a small practice are small. And not like I was asking particularly like... Can I do this? Is this cool? But but he was kind enough to expand it. So the way that it would go down, he said in his experience, is low likelihood that you would end up getting audited. But if you did get audited, what would end up most likely happening is they would cap you at whatever level you were collecting from the patient for them to meet their deductible for the rest of your time as a therapist. So you can never raise your rates.
0: So they would, uh, that would be going forward for as long as you're in practice?
2: For as long as you're in practice and as long as they're still a company. Right. So let's say they found out that you were charging the person $100, but you were billing the insurance $200. Gotcha. Easy numbers. Congratulations. The most that you can ever get paid out from Aetna or whoever right, right, right. for the rest of your career $100. Is, is 100 you know, is making $100 their number that they're willing to cover is reasonable and customary. Right.
1: Because that's what you charge.
2: Exactly. So it was really interesting, but you also could end up getting prosecuted again, like small likelihood of audit and small likelihood that they would be like, now we're going to spend more money. Like in general, their quick fix is to say and cut you down, cut you off. But yeah, but could you end up having trouble? Sure. The other thing that's probably worth mentioning is, you know, right now you're starting to see conglomerations. You're starting to see businesses approaching smaller businesses, bigger businesses approaching smaller businesses about mergers and acquisition. You got to have your books right. You know, like you don't want to build something on a shaky uh, structure, like on a shaky foundation. So I think that it's really important to do things the right way. Absolutely. Is this
0: um, like, let's say you're a a, a PTO, open a practice. Yep and um, you start to bill out a network and you start to get the paperwork for the insurance companies, is this something that would be in that either signing on to – I mean, it's not really a contract, but there's just basic billing practices that go out. Would this something easily given to us as, as a PT or do we have to kind of ask about it in the, general?
2: My, are you saying it's in general – When you start working with insurance companies, somewhere in the fine print is this listed? Correct. I don't believe so because it's the law, Um, Uh, like almost like Ellie, like like legal one hundred and one. When it comes to billing, is that everyone needs to be treated the same? Got it. And so that means that if you come in off the street, and and this is our biggest problem with healthcare is that people don't abide by these rules. Like, do you know what I am saying? If everyone posted their their billing fee publicly. And every insurance company knew what that was, and every human knew what that was. We would have a lot less problems. Like, I don't Absolutely. claim to know how to fix this unbelievable problem that we have with healthcare in this country, yeah. but I do know that. And as much as this wouldn't work in our, it wouldn't work in our favor if we were some of the people that were billing, like max billing, if you will. I think that's mm. a proper term, like mm. max billing. Then it wouldn't. That would be problematic for us because we couldn't abide. But if you're one of those people, you're not abiding by the <clears throat> by the law anyway. So, mm. no, I, do, I mean, I don't believe – because I never signed an in-network contract, all I did to become an out-of-network provider registered it for Aetna or for Blue Cross Blue Shield is I just sent them, like, a w- W-9. W-9. Exactly. Like, and then they never sent anything back. They just paid some claims. Man. If you're in network, it's totally cold, clearly cold. stated, sure, and it's yeah. so and it's so easy. But this is actual just legal practices. Is that gotcha. everyone has to be treated the same way?
0: This is interesting because um, yeah, someone that I know that is close to us, they, they were having a discussion about it, and um, right now they. I, after our last podcast, because there was like a quick brief of mentioning this w- with both Eric yeah. and I, um, I talked to him about it and he didn't he didn't know it at all and he, I think he looked into it more and more. I haven't talked to him again, but...
2: Well, you can ask a lot of people. You can ask a lot of billers and they're oh, going yeah. to... It's, it's the accountant versus the tax attorney right. thing. Well, if you he, ask billers, they're going to be like, yeah, you can max bill you, you have a contract whatever. Well, and it's right. like, well, no. <laughs> right. I mean, you can. You can do anything you want. Right, right. But...
0: If you want to Bye bye. Is it, this, yeah this is is the right is,
2: is that would a would a an attorney tell you that that is how the law is written? No, right. and that's what I think is is kind of interesting. And you can even ask lawyers that aren't specialized, and they might even say like, "Oh no, I mean, yeah, you don't have a contract, whatever. Like, don't even you didn't sign anything, whatever. Don't even worry,
0: But no, but that's a super important thing. I think even now, because the last several people we've had in here who had their own businesses, trainers, PTs, whatever it is. One thing is becoming really sure is that we could no longer be in Jason Kapnick's word. Mm-hmm. Uh, divorced from what the costs are for, for medical services and I think PT is one of those things right now the d- direction of it is going to be kind of up in the air in the next couple of years you know there was this article about Medicare for all and how it could uh, bring down hospitals even though it would give more healthcare to more people and it, it has to be looked at in a holistic way but Very I think hard. in the end it's going to be super important for us to be a little bit more diligent with this stuff.
2: And what, It sounds like you two actually probably know more than I do on this one. What what do we think if there were a Medicare for all? How would that affect Mm. our practice? Or or would it even if you know? Let's say like Australia. This is how it used to be a while ago. But let's say that you that that you were your own boss, Mm. and let's say that they would pay a hundred dollars for physical therapy sessions. You could charge whatever you wanted. You're just only going to get a hundred back from from. from the government, exactly, from the system. So if you want your rate to be 50, 150, then I, for me to come to you, would have to pay you 50 bucks. That seems very common sense and totally fine, frankly, Mm -hmm. but I never get the sense that common sense and fine is gonna be what's (laughs) gonna go on in the United States with what we have going on. So do you have any sense of where that, of of what Medicare for All might look like to me as a out-of-network provider for physical therapy.
0: For, Cash. Yeah, from my understanding, it would probably be what Medicare would pay, which is pretty high mm-hmm. uh, for PT services. Um, so, it, this article I was reading in the New York Times that was recent was more about like surgeries, medicine, and how it would affect hospitals because hospitals vary their uh, charges so much. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. And so, the ones that would obviously uh, veer towards the lower end would be Medicare reimbursement. Right. And then th- those procedures wouldn't be really available anymore, and/ or they wouldn't have the staffing for it, so it, they'd have to get rid of a lot of like nurses and doctors. so I think for us, since we're specialized, I think it wouldn't really affect us in the outpatient world right um, but I don't know that for sure i mean that that's a good question yeah,
2: well, that's a thing is like the question I was asking before is like if they let us because right now you know like if if you wanted to take Medicare, you can't take you can't ask for additional funds from that patient, no way. Yeah. and so. But I wonder if we go Medicare for all, does that stay, or would that get expanded? Meaning, like, okay, now you actually can, because if not, this system is going to Collide. is going to cre- create a total divide, Collide, and I, I don't know yeah. what it's going to look like. Yeah, that's mm. what
1: I. Th- I mean, I feel like it's happening. The divide is already happening, right? right? I mean, most of our patients can pay for out of pocket. Yeah, we're lucky. Yeah, very lucky, very lucky. We live in a, a bit of a bubble in terms of from the country's perspective. Mm-hmm. Right. But, um, yeah, I don't know how that's going to affect this. I mean, sadly, we're, that bubble has isolated us from any of those changes. Right. Uh, and I'm very thankful for it, but it really sucks because there's so much of the population that would benefit from this. And, yeah. you know, we know the benefits of healthy people. And if they, if everybody abided by the pillar prep,
2: pillar prep it up, yeah, yeah
1: <laughs> <little> <laughs> plug, um, I think to be a better place, but, um, it's going to be some interesting times, but it's sad because I recall working in an in-network clinic at a time, and I thought to myself often that I was like, wow, this person's never gotten this level of care, right. you know, this one-on-one, 30-minute. They're there for an hour and a half. Right. And, you know, that, that I kind of miss that. Um, but at the same token, you know, I do want the, it is survival, right? We all got to survive somehow. It, it, it's super complex, and I don't know, like you said, i don't have a good Not, answer no way don't have a good yeah. answer but, but I mean, people figure that out <laughs> yeah exactly and uh, you know in the meantime we're you know living here in new york city we're a bit a bit isolated yes. um very lucky
0: yeah <laughs> it's interesting i mean right now um i've said this on the podcast and i don't know if you know but my fiance is uh an acupuncturist and so um you mentioned a little bit with acupuncture and dry needling and physical therapy there's some there's some tide kind of rolling right now in the ac- acupuncture profession. I don't know if you've heard, but um, there, uh, a couple of board members have stepped down from the oh. acupuncturists. There was a new, uh, um, I don't even know what to call it, but uh, m- there was an email that was sent out that basically was supporting from the acupuncture board, supporting a physical therapist doing dry needling, which was strange. Interesting. So they're... A lot of the acupuncturists are um, wondering what's happening at the top. Um, But uh, my fiancé has has different theories in terms of where the future is going to be. But in the end, it seems going to be a little bit less you know, traditional acupuncture and a little bit more dry needling with physical therapists and or dry needling, quote, with acupuncturists. But it, it it's all kind of stemming from the same thing that we're talking about now, this this idea that uh, they're trying to find low costs for uh, conservative management and they're trying to find uh, almost like a streamline. It's a lot easier for them to streamline something that's oh. already in the system than it is to go outside the system, which acupuncture kind of is. Oh, okay. Do you know what I mean? Um, okay,
2: so, so saying that almost instead of being totally against dry needling, being like, actually, that's kind of cool because it's already as part of the healthcare system. So when things switch, we may as well be on that train. It will be easier for us to catch that train because that train has already been built. Right, right. Yeah, they already put those things in places.
0: Yeah, so it's, uh, I don't know what's going to happen to it, but I feel like there is value in traditional acupuncture treatment versus the idea of dry needling. might,
1: Might be also buying like dry needling Physical, therap- physical therapist again part of the establishment already, um, but there are certain individuals that hear acupuncture or Eastern medicine and they don't mm-hmm. they don't they don't understand right. Yeah. They make they have their own perception of it, and they're trying to incorporate it because they know the benefits. That's for sure. I mean, yeah. science is.
2: That's the thing, and it's it, and Thomas bring us full circle back to what we started about. Mm-hmm. It used to be combined with movement science. So they nice. were ahead of the game on that. That's and incredible. It, the way that it, and, and I don't know, I don't know what it looks like in in the eastern hemisphere, but I, I in the western hemisphere, I mean, no one gets up out of an acupuncture treatment and <laughs> no starts way. doing tai chi. <laughs> no, no right way. away. No way. So it, it 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 will be nice when things, hopefully. All come back together yeah as we're our
1: part conversation of, we're part did. Of that. we were part of uh the movement
0: so yeah, yeah. Ooh, part of the, the movement pod. <laughs> man I, I have to say after our first podcast together i left here kind of oh, like wow that was yeah. uh, to be honest with you i was like you are an incredible practice manager and plus yes. a great clinician um and I, I feel the same way right now after this it's, so I, it's a lot of this info, is great but it's um
1: a lot of info that kind of, it all connects. Yes. So yeah. yeah that's, um, we like
2: to integrate stuff.
0: It's awesome, plunk, man. Now nah, it's
2: pluck. <laughs> right. yeah, I, I walked out being like, thank you for letting me tell my story. Like, thank you for yes. letting me tell an anecdote about my, like my, my great aunt. Do you know what I'm saying? Right, like right. you let me give the context, not just the conclusions. Right. And that was cool. And this felt the same way. And I, can't be more grateful so thank you so much for yeah, letting absolutely. me share the thank things you. that i care thank the most about
0: thank that you great so we're gonna um i think on the show notes at least post most of the stuff but we do have a website awesome <laughs> yes, yes and I'd like to uh, maybe take like some screenshots of whatever you feel 100%. is uh is cool and we can put it on the website with the show and definitely uh, we'll be posting this YouTube video too so and if
1: you well, well we'll also with the uh, with, with the website anybody interested in taking any of Steve's courses will yes. be on his yeah link it up uh, yep so June is the first one yeah there's f- eight eight one?
2: spots left for the movement science Sweet. this morning a, yeah. June it's June. Flex? June 8th and 9th at Flex Physical Therapy they're awesome there's two flexes actually in the city City. they're both awesome. I know mm-hmm. the owners of both of them. Cool. Um yeah, Flex it's a, it's in Midtown. Um just you can link straight through to it but yeah it's just uh the 8th and ninth. it's a saturday sunday course uh Sweet. in june so we'll be covering a lot we're we'll got not only just like our pillar prep our systems but then we're also going to go through squat hinge lunge push pull locomotion rotation so Very you'll cool. get you'll get everything just just the cueing that we've gotten over the last i'm sure you know how to cue a hinge i'm sure you know how to cue a lunge maybe there's one or two cues that you haven't heard of that we can give you that can help out so absolutely.
1: I'll pass it along to all the trainers. You know, we have a big network of trainers, so anybody listening, it's relevant to all. Thank you guys for listening.
2: Looking forward to
0: it. Thank you. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Appreciate it, brother. Thank you for listening to A Few Good Physios. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, and Facebook. Follow us each week while we interview guests and have clinical commentary.